Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Red Pill Your Healthcast. My name is Dr. Charlie Fagenholtz here with Lauren Johnson, functional nurse practitioner. And we're going to talk about two things today. We're going to talk about asthma and we're going to talk about ear infections. So Lauren, what do you want to start? If you want to go asthma, you want to go ear infections first? Let's go with ear infections first. Ear infections. I feel like, well, I just got over an ear infection. I feel like ear infections are going around like crazy. Um, yeah, they're, uh, they can be kind of scary for people, especially for like new parents and things like that. So what should we start talking about with them? Yeah. So ear infections are one of the most common things I saw as a nurse practitioner in urgent care. I worked in urgent care. So my initial experience as a nurse was in the pediatric ICU and pediatric ER. Of course I had kids that come into the ER for an ear infection because it can be really scary to, for the child to all of a sudden develop a high fever. I once had a child in urgent care have a febrile seizure and it came out of nowhere and she had an ear infection. The seizure came because of the jump in temperature that um, that she was experiencing with this with this ear infection. And it was fine. She was fine. She was she she ended up being okay. But um, it is scary, especially when they get this high jump in temperature. They are irritable. They don't feel good. And sometimes they'll pull at their ears. Sometimes they won't. Um, sometimes you'll just think it's a tooth. Um, and so there is a lot that can be done that we you know a lot of times they just give antibiotics for. I have seen providers give antibiotics for a pink ear, for a slightly reddened ear, for ears that just are not actually infected or have a viral appearance, or they even could be some watchful waiting. So mm -hmm. even the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends watchful waiting for 48 hours um, with an ear infection. But do we see that happening? No, not at all. And uh, like you said, it, it can be pretty scary. I mean, especially if they're young, uh, if they're infants, like they can't talk, they can't express like what they're feeling. Um, definitely not a, a fun experience from anyone's perspective. Well, and if they have recurrent ear infections, that can affect their ability to hear, and then that affects their speech development. And that is something that you do want to prevent. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people jump to ear tubes when you start seeing three and four ear infections in a few months. And I am not going to tell you not to do ear, ear tubes, but I am going to tell you that they're going to fall out and then mm -hmm. you're, you might have to get them replaced again. And it's a procedure. It's definitely putting the child under for anesthesia. Um, and if we could try a couple things first and then maybe go after that, if you're still not finding solutions, then, then, you know, I, we, that would be understandable, but Conventional medicine doesn't talk about the other things first. So what are some things that we do um, instead of antibiotics for ear infections? So the first thing that I always do with all ear infections, and this is going to be a surprise to nobody, is I get people off dairy. Yeah. No, no mucus forming foods. I don't do dairy. Um, even sometimes avocado, because it's a histamine food, uh, can create too much mucus. But if I had to say one thing, no dairy products, even good dairy products for the moment. That is number one. Number two is I would go get a chiropractic adjustment. And I would do that because the ear, the jaw, and the atlas, which is the first cervical vertebra, are all connected. And when any of those are out of place, you can't drain properly. And so um, 
definitely a chiropractic adjustment. But now let's talk a little bit about some other things that we can do at home. And my go-to is I have two of them. I like garlic and uh, is it mulein or mulein uh, oil? I always say mulein. I don't know. Mulein. Mulein. Yeah. Hear what we mean, not what we say. Yeah, I don't. I know people get on me like it's pronounced like this way. They'll get, I'll get messages, yeah. and I'm like, guys, I'm trying my best here. Like, yeah. I just know it works. I'm a provider. I'm not like this public. <laughs> you all might be able to tell that. Okay, that's right. So the, uh, I'll, I'll use that, and I also use sometimes hydrogen peroxide. Okay, uh, because that How can would really you help. Use hydrogen peroxide. I I have used hydrogen peroxide, not necessarily with children though. Yeah, um, so it helps with like all the earwax. Helps dry up the earwax. Yes. It does. And it does. so I, if I had to choose between the two, I usually go to the garlic and mullein. I, now, now I'm going to, every time I say it, I'm going to like, think about it. Yeah. I'm going to get all uh, self-conscious about it. Maybe we need it. Uh, yeah. The enunciation of it. You know, I, okay. So the garlic drops are so easy. I don't love when people, I, you can make them yourself. I don't prefer that because I just feel like there's risk of infection and cross-contamination and it's so easy to buy them that yeah. are pre-made in a facility, in a manufacturing facility. Um, and, and they're not expensive. And so that you just use them a few times a day. If you have a child with a cold being proactive, especially if they're increased likelihood of getting an ear infection, they've had one before, Go on and start. I would go on and start the ear the eardrops. You can do it once or twice a day. Um, and what I do is I have them lay on my lap and whatever ear is typically affected, or you can do both. You just want to do them separately so it has some time to hang out in the ear. But I have the child lay on my lap and then put the um put the eardrop in and then let them sit there for a little bit, maybe look at a book or read a book or yeah, something. What, what's the timing that you usually do? I like at least 15 minutes. Um, I know mm. that's probably not feasible. I would pre- you know, prefer like 30 minutes in the ear. Um, but you some will do like a cotton ball if it's a mm. big cotton ball so it doesn't get stuck in the ear because you do not want to get those stuck in the ear. Um, no. You A big one that to kind of keep it in there, um, that would be fine too. Or if you have a child that's upright, that's fine too, to be honest, as long as they're not just laying back down on that ear. Yeah. And yeah. Um, <clears throat> we talked about the onion in the sock. Do you like yeah, that so- one? Onion earmuffs are actually really helpful um, yeah. for ear pain. Um, some will use, I also like like onion poultices for like over the chest for like chest congestion. You can also hang that by their bed um, and that would be a, a really helpful thing as well. Um, but you you wouldn't, I'll put some instructions in the show notes for, ear, for onion earmuffs. You wouldn't expect it to help, but guys like these old time remedies, they, they do work. Yeah. Um, and then red light is another thing that I find my, with, for my children. And I have had a child with an ear infection and did clear up immediately within 12 hours. And it was actually during summertime and I ended up letting her go swimming that night and I probably shouldn't have, but I did. And it was fine. Um, but, and see, these are the decisions that like, you know what, it's okay to still do the things as long as everything's cleared up. But I'll tell you what happened. We had a chiropractor appointment that day. And her atlas was off yep. and with the garlic drops, red light, she was like 50% better after the chiropractic adjustment. She was fine. The so, rest- so I, with the little ear infection I had a few days ago, um, I was away with my Cairo friends and I went to the store. I got the herb farm, uh, garlic mooly. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say it, the garlic plus whatever it's called. Garlic drops, garlic drops. Yeah. Garlic mooling drops. Um, and so, uh, did that and then got my Atlas Occiput adjusted and I was 95% the next day. Yeah. 
And back when I lived in Laguna Beach and I would snorkel all the time, uh, the one time that I remember that I got uh, a wave had hit me from the side and went right into my ear. And my Cairo friend who lived across the street from where or who practices across the street from where I lived, I texted him and said, hey, I got water mirror. I was trying to shake it out. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get it out. Um, I didn't have hydrogen peroxide. Texted him. He said, hey, come over. And he adjusted my occiput atlas and immediately it drained like in the moment drained out of my ear. So don't um, underestimate the power of a good chiropractic adjustment. Um, and then one more thing about that ear draining. So something that people don't often think of is a low tongue posture and like yes. an epidemic of children that are mouth breathing. How many times do we see a, pre- a little cute baby picture with the, with the, ba- with the baby wide open mouth? I know that this is so normal to see, but it isn't, it's so common to see, but it's not necessarily normal for development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to understand that this is a factor. That's not something that you have done. It could be a factor of your p- parents and your grandparents and nutrient depletion along the way. Yep. For for me, I know it has one of the factors for, for my children is the fact that my gut was a wreck when I was pregnant with them and breastfeeding them and I wasn't absorbing nutrients. And so they do have underdeveloped jaws and they did mouth breathe and do a little bit still, we're still working on that. But what I want to say is if you are mouth breathing, you don't have your tongue on the roof of the mouth. And then your Eustachian tube is not draining. And so especially for children that have short sinuses and they're more horizontal, there's just more room for mucus to just kind of stay stagnant there. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have that breeding ground for bacteria. And so really focus on, um, like you could do some lymph massage and, and just gentle massage all down there, helping it to drain. Um, but also you know, maybe look at how to work on that mouth breathing for young ones. This is going to look at the myomunchy and CFT and myofunctional therapy. And of course, chiropractor, but for older ones, you definitely going into, um, other things like, you know, you could look at a tie release, definitely, definitely the myomunchy still, um, and more myofunctional therapy, um, and going on from there. Um, one thing, we didn't go, is there anything else you want to go over with the care of the only two things that I had, um, that I was thinking about was on top of like a salt sock or a onion sock would be a salt sock. If you do okay. just sea salt and then you warm it on, um, on a pan, not in the microwave, uh, then it can help with the pain of, uh, the earache of an ear infection and the salt can actually help draw out some of the toxins similar to, to onion. And then just having an otoscope at home, you can get oh, them wow. on. You can get them on Amazon and it comes with photos of like, hey, this is what infection looks like. This is what perforated eardrum looks like. Yeah. Uh, they're like 30 bucks on Amazon and it's well worth having one uh, in your medicine cabinet. Definitely. Because I will say if you have a ruptured eardrum, I am not a big fan of just putting drops down in there because it can make the pain worse. Yeah. Um, I typically, and this is just the provider of me saying, don't put ear, anything in your ear if you have a ruptured eardrum or you've had ear tubes. Um, and so then I usually say, wait for your provider to tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just my, you know, CYA. Okay. One more thing we forgot to mention with ear infections is homeopathics. So Alphatilla, yes. Belladonna yep. and Camellia, Cam- Camomilla. I'm going to say it. I always say it. Wrong. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, Pulsatilla is the most classic. Yes, definitely. So Pulsatilla is the one that we always have on hand for this as well. Yep. Yep. Um, so that, those are 
homeopathy is something that intimidates some people, but it's so easy. You just match the remedy with the person's symptoms and emotion. So there's always going to yep. be, so like for pulsatilla, sudden onset of ear pain, usually with a high fever, the outer ear is red and hot and can come with teething and warmth improves symptoms. Um, the chamomilla, it's the child is screaming and unhappy, demanding and irritable. Um, so, and then also having sharp pain, you know, so mm. you can see how you need to match specifically. So if you give a remedy that isn't matched well, it just won't work. Um, it won't yeah. do anything, but if yeah. you match the remedy well, then it will work and you'll be pretty amazed by it. There's, there's two ways of doing homeopathy that could probably help some folks out listening to this. First one's called the dry dose. That's where you put the sugar pellets under the tongue and let it dissolve. Then there's something called the wet dose. And that's where you get a bottle of water and you put the remedy in there and let it dissolve in the water and then sip the drink throughout the day. Yeah. Um, that when I first had that, the first time I ever had a homeopathic that like changed my life, um, was a wet dose where put a few of very strong 10 M homeopathics, like extremely strong, like bazooka type strength. And I sipped it throughout the day. And I'll never forget because I remember driving home from chiropractic school and like looking at the sky and everything was just clearer. It just, I just felt like a euphoric feeling. Um, homeopathy when you get it right, it's very, very powerful. So, uh, yeah, don't underestimate how uh, great homeopathics really are. Yeah. And I do have a good link to a um, homeopath that sells a kit with, with a little booklet that tells you like how to match the, the acute symptom. I'll put that in the show notes. I actually, that's the one that I typically go to and it is the wet dosing. So it has the little, uh, the little, it's a little vial and then you put a couple drops in a jar and then fill it with water and then they sip on it throughout the day. And it, it really does great. Yeah. Um, okay. One argument I do want to bring up that I think a lot of people say, well, don't vaccines prevent ear infections. And aren't you going to have more ear infections if you don't get vaccinated? And this is just something that I get a question about a lot and I can't really talk about. Neither one of us can really talk about it on social media. So <laughs> I wanted to bring up here. Um, so the Hib and the pneumococcal vaccines are the ones that are most likely um, to prevent, or they say they are most likely to prevent ear infection. So the pneumococcal vaccine, this is from one study in... This was in 2001 in the New England Journal of Medicine. The pneumococcal vaccine was associated with a 6% reduction in the number of acute episodes of acute otitis media as compared with the number of among children who did not receive the vaccine. And then, and this was with, and then that was all causes of, of otitis media. Well, there are lots of causes of otitis media, which is ear infection. There are virus, there are viral causes, there are bacterial causes. That vaccine is only known to prevent a few different strains of bacteria. So against the strains of bacteria that the pneumococcal vaccine does treat, it only reduced the percent of ear infections by 57%. So it's not even a full like 100% for those that yep. are vaccinated against it for the strains, for those strains. And so it just seems like it doesn't, it just doesn't really work. Like they, so, they, yeah, think think about it. You just said fifty seven percent. So say that's a 50-50 chance. And the, that's a, the just cons, a right? But the cons of that vaccine are way greater than and the what are they? That vaccine. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a, every, uh, how much? We don't have that much time on this podcast. We have actually. Have we talked about the pneumococcal vaccine? I think so. I think so. 
we'll have to put it in show notes. I'm trying to remember. I know we've talked about Hib, which is the next one. We, we definitely like. talked about Hib for sure. Um, and so another one, so um, the Haemophilus influenzae is the leading pathogen in one study that caused otitis media. And that one, let me pull it up. Let's see. In fact, most studies, it has been observed that two to 5% of cases of Haemophilus otitis are due to Haemophilus type B. And so it only helped prevent two to 5% of cases. Mm. Um, and so that to me says, and the study of course concluded that says the vaccine could be said therefore to have a minor, but by no means negligible role in prevention of Haemophilus <laughs> otitis. And I'm like, so it's funny because I looked at, I'll have to find the other study that I pulled up, but it was, it was saying at the conclusion that it's, it's a worthwhile investment to be vaccinated. But then in the, in the discussion and the, in the actual percentage point reduction, it was like under 10%. Like yeah, there how, is you that go. Even, how is that science when we are, we're going off of something that prevents something less than 10% of the time? Um, I'll, oh, put, I'll put all of this and that's just a side note that I just really want to, um, you know, just say like, guys, like they say these things, look it up. Like all I did was Google. This was not some other search engine. This was Google. Just yep. knowing what to put in that Google search, um, to find these, this, th these things. But so basically these vaccines carry their own sets of risks too. We have done episodes on that. Um, you can definitely look at it in the show notes. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and is it worth, and that's what they say they prevent. Is it worth it to have the risks if it only prevents ear infections by a few percentage points? Um, did you want to talk about Tylenol here or during asthma? Well, it goes for both. So, yeah, yeah. um, Tylenol is often given for ear infections, um, but it also can increase the likelihood of developing asthma. And so there is one. That's a good segue right into yeah, the next portion of our podcast. There you go. If you give your, this was one quote by William Parker, PhD. Um, mm -hmm. If you give your child acetaminophen, which is Tylenol between the ages of 12 and 18 months, you're 20 times more likely to have a child with autism than if you don't give them any acetaminophen from 12 to 18 months. Where's my one about, I have one about asthma. Oh, there's a dose-dependent association between use of acetaminophen in the first year of life and the occurrence of inflammatory diseases such as asthma, rhinoconjunctivitis, and eczema. Um, there is another one. This is another one that increases the risk of asthma associated with Tylenol. So basically, there's multiple studies that prove in giving Tylenol or acetaminophen uh, at any age is going to increase the risk of complications, and asthma is one of them. And it is something that depletes glutathione. It's something that is commonly given and it's just not necessarily a good drug to be given at all. I don't believe. I'm with you hundred percent on that. Yeah. On that. So what let's talk, let's d dive deeper into uh, asthma. Yeah. It's a really um, common 25 million people, uh, one in 12, super common. $56 billion yearly. I mean, it is a, it's a big deal. I saw this a ton in, working at Children's Hospital, especially because of where I live on the Ohio River and you have a lot of allergies and that can be a big factor in asthma, but so can um, toxin exposures can be a big factor in asthma. So do you want to kind of 
dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So in my experience with asthma, you know, I, I always have a couple things in my head. The first one is adrenals. And the reason why is because adrenals uh, really has your adrenaline, has your cortisol. And if you think about um, when you're in, when you are secreting adrenaline, what is happening, right? It changes your blood flow from your organs to your muscles so that you can run faster in fight or flight, but it also dilates your bronchial so you can get more oxygen that feeds your muscles. So if you look at it that way, I start thinking, okay, basically what's happening is the, the person with asthma's bronchioles are not dilating properly. So that would tell me that they have low adrenal function. And so now adrenal support, which we'll get into is, is very critical, but if taxing, like, why are their adrenals taxed to begin with? So what, why would you say that happens? Yeah. So first off, I would say that it's toxins in utero. Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, that'll tax the adrenals. Say it again. Heavy metals. Yep. Heavy metals. I was going to say vaccines. Yeah. Right. Right off the start vaccines. Um, but also, uh, if mom's adrenals are not great during pregnancy and she starts pulling on the babies, not to make all the moms listening to this feel guilty. This is just part of medicine. No, guys, this is me. I left my first job as a nurse practitioner, seven months pregnant with my first baby. I was working 13 hour shifts and was having nightmares because it was so awful. And my adrenals, I, it was, it was awful. And so yeah. it, I've, I have, my daughter doesn't have asthma, but she has plenty of adrenal issues. She heard hers is not being expressed with asthma, but there's adrenal issues can cause other things too. And yep. so, you know, it is one of those things that you can't don't feel that guilt, know that like you're learning this now so we can make changes for our children so that they don't have to experience this with their children and Bingo. be empowered by that. And, and there's so much you can do. I mean, honestly, it's not that you've like given your child the death sentence by any means, not even close. So there's a lot of action steps to to be done that Lauren and I talk about all the time, honestly. Um, But when it comes to adrenals, so say the baby is born with healthy adrenals. So we just talked about vaccines, but essentially in a nutshell, anything that will increase histamine is going to really tax the adrenals. And so that's um, parasites, that's mold, that's emotional stress, that's heavy metals. That is, I mean, kids don't do much caffeine, but caffeine can also put you into that TH2 that Lauren and I talked about on our allergy podcast. This is very similar to allergies. Yeah. And, um, and so adrenals are the, the first thing that I'll look at because of the action of adrenaline on our bronchioles. Second thing I'll look at is infections and toxins just affecting the lungs. And in Chinese medicine, the lung is paired with the large intestine. So they they affect each other. So if you have gut issues, you'll have lung issues. If you have lung issues, you'll have gut issues. In my experience, it's gut issues that lead to lung issues. And same thing goes. We talked mold. We talked parasites. I would say that in asthma, I'm always checking for viral. Always. I'm checking for Epstein-Barr and herpes family viruses. I'm Which checking for Epstein old- Epstein-Barr will really adversely affect the adrenals too. Totally. Totally. I'm looking at um, uh, flus that still like linger around, you know, just because you don't have the flu-like symptoms does not mean that they, the resonant frequencies of them still are not in your system. And could it be that the virus that they were injected with to help prevent is causing some of those issues? Because 100%. 
my daughter, my youngest is still resonating with the virus that she was vaccinated against, but she never had. That's right. If you're new to my podcast, our podcast, we, my children were vaccinated up until the age of four, my youngest up until the age of two, when I started asking questions. And this is something that like, I was blown away. She just got scanned and tested and it was, she's five. I mean, and it's something that it's, it stays with you. It could be a vaccine that was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, if the body is still trying to deal with that virus, um, it's causing issues for that body. Yep. That's exactly it. So, so some of the action steps that we can do, <clears throat> um, one more thing before we get into that actually is, um, i mentioned lung, large intestine and Chinese medicine, but the lung generates qi, which is the life force in Chinese medicine. And what gives it the nutrients to do that is the spleen. And so, and the spleen fights off viruses and infections. So again, it goes back to immune system. So I wrote down some stuff. Oh, did we mention, um, before we get into solutions. So with, I did also want to mention mercury and lead. Yep. Heavy metals. We mentioned heavy metals, but it's not just in vaccines. And so like lead can be in lead-based paint and lead and and lead in dirt and soil. Mercury is often in 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 like in uh, seafood. So you really want to get good quality sources like wild caught. Um, and I honestly, I do kind of limit certain types of seafood that are higher in, especially if you are, um, if you are pregnant, I would, I, I do think it's important to get high quality seafood. I think it's very good for the baby to have that, um, as a nutrient, but also just being aware that you want to get high quality swordfish, king mackerel, tuna, and big salmon are the ones that are highest in mercury. Sardines are low in mercury and they are good for you in many ways. And so, um, that is something to think about, but yep. they're not often a popular food. Um, okay. So let's go into solutions. So the first thing, um, first and foremost, I would say is to balance the adrenal glands. So obviously we've, we talked about some causes of things like mold and and histamine related stuff. We've done a podcast on adrenals, so we can definitely reference that and reference the allergy podcast. Um, but going after the adrenals, uh, vitamin C, which is also the nutrient of the lungs, um, is crucial. And so Lauren and I talk about Camu Supreme quite a bit. There's one more that I will mention. It's from Vervita. It's called Matrix Synergy. And it has good vitamin C. It has magnesium. It has manganese, which helps the immune system, helps the adrenals. Um, But we don't talk enough about that product. And one, it also has the immune triad. The immune triad is calcium, essential fatty acids, and vitamin C back from Royal Lee, who started standard process. He was a dentist. And he said that the three nutrients that help the immune system the most, calcium, vitamin C, and um, and essential fatty acids. And the calcium obviously is utilized with vitamin D. We all know vitamin D is great as well. Um, so I will add besides Camu, I will throw in matrix synergy on that one. Um, and that kind of combines and- some of the things that I talk about with... Um- well, so Camu Supreme, but also with magnesium, mm-hmm. being really super, like if you have a child with an asthma attack, magnesium is actually given in the hospital as an IV drip, um, or even a, just a bolus dose, depending on, um, depending on the severity of the child. And it's, it's 
shocking to me that more outpatient providers aren't saying, Hey, this asthmatic child that's still having recurrent issues, maybe they should be on magnesium. And so I do like lotions. I like Epsom salt baths and things like that. I also like oral magnesium. We can link those in the show notes. Um, or of course going with the, um, matrix synergy, but also, you mentioned the EFA. I typically would say something like a cod liver oil. What are your thoughts yep. on that? Or- yeah, I love it. I love it because the other nutrient of the lungs is vitamin A. And so cod liver oil has good vitamin A. It's got vitamin D in there. It's anti-inflammatory. Um, and then with the cod liver oil, because that has vitamin A in there, there's another product uh, that kind of hits a bunch of different um, points that we talked about. Number one, it hits antiviral. Number two, it has vitamin C. Number three, it has vitamin A. Number four, it has spleen tissue in there, which is Vervita immune armor. So that's a really good one. Um, And that also has um, spleen and thymus tissue in there. And they also have DAO in them. And DAO is what helps histamine in the gut. Uh, But most people think that DAO comes from kidney and it does come from kidney, but it also can come from uh, spleen uh, and some thymus uh, extract as well. Um, piggybacking yeah, I was going to mention block by seeking help. I do like that a lot. So it sounds like that has all of it, but I, I do like histamine block a lot um, for like, say a food exposure. Um, mm-hmm. That is something that can often trigger asthma is foods. We haven't mentioned foods or really mold um, yeah. as being causative factors with, with asthma, but foods, just play a big role. Dairy, getting off dairy can be a massive. And I, I am a big fan. Y'all know I'm a big fan of quality source raw dairy, but I do think within the case of asthma, it's really good to go off dairy completely. And then I personally would reintroduce slowly and see how the patient does. Yep. And if they have an increase in asthma symptoms, um, and, or maybe even trying goat dairy or camel milk or things like that to try other things. Um, if, if still not doing well, but I do think it has to be raw because that pasteurization just takes away all the nutrients that your body needs to digest it. So then it just becomes inflammatory and yep. you go and mucus producing. And that's why the body's producing mucus because it is trying, it doesn't know what to do with it. So it's producing mucus to get it away. And so you really just don't want to drink pasteurized, a bunch of pasteurized dairy. Um, but gluten too is another big factor as well. And, you know, other top allergens like corn and soy, um, and things like that. Yeah. And what happens is when you eat those allergens, they secrete histamine. So there goes your adrenals again, and your body has to secrete more adrenaline to counteract it. And then your cortisol goes. And then at at first cortisol is anti-inflammatory, but over time it's, it's pro-inflammatory and it breaks down your barriers, which is your lung barrier and your gut barrier. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, piggy, now you piggybacking off that you mentioned mold yeah. and one product that I will use for mold that I was going to bring up next actually is Scutellaria Supreme. I knew you were going to say that. I knew, I, I know that you, I knew it, that you knew I was going to say that. It, it increases glutathione. It's it so, does. it's so protective in mold. I mean, it is so protective in mold. So good. And I, I, yeah, that's one thing. My daughter's on it right now. I love Scutellaria. So good. It comes in tincture. It comes in pill form, uh, increases glutathione. And through that, it also decreases your histamine. So it's one of my favorite ones for it being an antihistamine. Um, and it also is antiviral. It's a TH1 inducer. So it is antiviral. Uh, so it does mold. It does viruses. It heals the gut, blood, brain, and lung barrier because of glutathione production. It gets your lymph moving, which is how you detox. 
Uh, it is phenomenal. If I had to add one more herb on top of that, it would be Olive Leaf Supreme. Both of them, I use breastfeeding in pregnancy. And and uh, even though Scutellaria is the one that does say it on the bottle, I still find Olive Leaf is okay. Um, and Olive is very anti-inflammatory. So when you have inflammation, you have this lung stuff going on, that can be a really good addition as well. What about astragalus for like a post-viral cough that's hanging around? And that's so good. Astragalus is really good for the adrenals too. Yes. Um, so that would be another herb I might just consider um, put in the back pocket, maybe for something that's lingering around. Um, love oh, astragalus. I also love B propolis. Um, mm. No spray, throat spray, having the diffuser in your bedroom, which is protective against mold. Um, these are just things. And of course, an air purifier in the bedroom, which is also really in needed because our homes are just so airtight that we have so much more mold in today's homes than we did in homes that were built a hundred years ago. And it's just something that we really have to be on guard against because of all the chemical exposures we're all being exposed to, which we know that cleaning products and things like that also increase the likelihood of asthma. So yep. it's not just the mold or the heavy metals or the Tylenol that's depleting glutathione. It's also the things that we're exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis that increase that uh, histamine increase that inflammatory response. And so it's not to overwhelm you to say, oh, I need to do all of these things with asthma. No, it's start with one thing. So yep. one thing, when one bottle runs out, okay, I'm going to get a better brand uh, or when, or, okay, when I can, when this goes on sale, I'm going to grab this, or we're going to start using this throat spray. And then, um, you know, things like that. Um, other things with asthma that we also, I also love is nebulizing. Um, I, I'm a little hesitant with nebulizing glutathione with asthma because you are invoke uh, glutathione can be very detoxifying and it can almost be a little bit too much that they might have this hypersensitivity response in an asthmatic. So I would say to just tread lightly. I don't know. Have you ever seen any issues with it? I haven't had any issues with that. I, I use the ACG glutathione spray and I add some iodine drops to it as well because iodine breaks down the mucus. There you go. I, you know, I just think I, I tend to start really slow with things. I also love, um, nebulizing NAC and AC, mm -hmm. um, which is a, you know, we know is a precursor to glutathione. And so that it's a good mucolytic too. Totally. Um, d uh, nebulizing magnesium, um, a couple sprays, the magnesium spray in there can be really helpful as well for children. It does, it can burn. So I really do, I do dilute it pretty strongly or mm -hmm. even just nebulizing saline can be really helpful for little ones. Yeah. Um, a little bit more. So the last thing uh, before the only other thing I had written down was uh, if you are pregnant or breastfeeding and you're wondering about like the adrenal support, uh, all of the Vervita, like Matrix Synergy is is uh, totally safe. Um, Inspiracel is another one I use for adrenals actually. So Inspiracel and Matrix would be my two uh, adrenal ones on top of obviously Regenerism Adrenal, but uh, some people uh, don't want the, you know, the glandular of, of adrenals. So matrix and inspire cells, my two, but reishi, it kind of piggybacks on your astragalus, um, yeah. uh, addition is reishi mushroom is great because it bounces the immune system and the stress response. So it's very good for asthma in general. Actually, I, I will add that to a lot of kids with asthma's protocol with the adrenal support, but it's definitely good during pregnancy and breastfeeding as well. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I wrote down that we were talking about was the emotions of the lungs. Yeah. This is something that gets a little bit like people are like, what? Like, how does that relate to this? Um, but you might just notice that, um, you know, you've, you've, 
you've had a death in the family or mm. a traumatic event. And every time you remember it or go through that same, same time of year that that happened, you might have a flare up of your, of your lung symptoms. And I just think it's, something that if we don't address those emotions, you're never going to fully heal from it. And it just sits in the body. They, the yeah. emotions that are not processed and addressed, they cause dis-ease in the body and then disease. And I'm not saying it's the only factor. So, you know, their grief did not is alone cause your asthma, but it could be grief from previous generations. It could be right. um, exposures from previous generations too. And so it's just something to think about. And really, I think we all just need to sit with our emotions more, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And so it's what are you, uh, what are your favorites for addressing emotions. Uh, NET <laughs> neuroemotional technique. I love essential oils. Um, like the, the lungs are grief and sadness, but remember I said in Chinese medicine, it's, it's paired with the large intestine. Large intestine is dogmatically positioned, which means stuck, right? You think constipation, but you could be stuck in life somewhere. You, you could be not moving forward and then you develop a cough. Um, cloudy thinking is another one, um, that goes with that as well. And so the oils that I've seen help asthma the most uh, is Immune Harmony for Vervita and Sore to Sore. Uh, immune Harmony does adrenals, lymph, kidneys, and bladder. So it helps immune system, things like that. Um, and I find uh, Sore to Sore. The other one I'll throw in there is actually Heart Harmony. And the reason why Heart Harmony is because that does grief, sadness, um, or grief and sadness. But usually what grief and sadness I find turns into is anger over time. And so sort of sore does anger and frustration. Um, and so those are the top three oils that I've seen, which would be immune harmony, heart harmony, and sort of sore. And I also say, uh, just a little quick in the, in the moment with needing some respiratory support, uh, breathe again is one that mm. I have seen work really well, not to nebulize it because you don't want to nebulize oils and plastic. Uh, but you can put it, dilute it on. Um, it is fantastic for little ones, like tiny ones. You could do like kids and sniffles or RC, um, Raven diffusing it. That can be helpful. But of course, oils diffusing have VOCs that you really do want to be mindful of, but it can be very helpful. So yeah. you kind of see what your asthmatic responds to, but oils can be a, a very helpful thing for acute breathing situations. And that's definitely one thing I go to in the wintertime with any coughs. Totally. Uh, let's see. All right. I, I think we hit everything, ear infections, asthma. Um, we covered, you know, we have adrenal podcast. We have allergy podcasts already, which we've we covered have a, mold a podcast, we have a mold podcast. Yeah. Um, it's, there's, it's never just that one, like, okay, this is an ear infection. Here are these things that are not related to the other things. It's always a little bits of each thing. And, and that's yeah. why it can be overwhelming to start addressing. Um, but start with something that resonates with you. Start with, if it, there's an herb we mentioned, go to Supreme's website. They have a great write-up on every single herb, like yep. a long write-up, like two pages and see what you really are like, like kind of just think about it and see what your heart and your brain kind of go towards and pray about it, you know, whatever, and see what you respond best to. Sometimes it is trial and error, even for providers prescribing stuff, unless you're muscle testing and really kind of getting in, you're testing the body and seeing what you respond to. Um, if you're not doing that and as a provider, you're, you're, you're using herbs, a lot of times it's trial and error and just saying, okay, this one is typically done. Let's go to the next one. And so, um, you just kind of have to know yourself and know how you're doing, how your child's doing and how you respond to these things. So totally. And as you were talking about Supreme, one more just popped in my head. So I feel like I have to say it with scutellaria. There's another one that increases glutathione. And that is Shisandra. And Shisandra helps open the liver pathways. And so when we talk about mold, we talk about 
vaccines. We talk about air pollution, pesticides, all this stuff. Pesticides can can, can severely cause asthma. Um, uh, Shisandra just kind of helps the liver detox pathways open up. Um, so that's another good one. And that also supports the adrenals. So Scutellaria and Shisandra, uh, two great ones. Yeah. So I think we have covered it all. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, you have to say your last not, little saying. This is not meant to be medical advice. This is meant to be educational. Please speak with your healthcare provider before changing anything. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one.